Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits into our lives. Hi, hey, Patrick. I'm good. Yeah. Good. Uh, you know, getting out for some nice rides. Um, That's good. Yeah, and uh, making some new friends. Uh, you know the writer Larissa Connors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I didn't know this, but she's from Santa Rosa. Oh, I don't think I knew that either. Uh, and she's back in the area with her husband, Brendan, and their new little baby. Uh, oh. Yeah, he, Brendan is from the area. He was uh, an engineer for felt bicycles uh, until, let's go with relatively recently. Okay. Um, yeah, very smart dude. Very smart dude. Um, and... Uh, He's also originally from the area. His parents are down in Bodega Bay. Um, hmm. And so I've been gradually starting to do some rides uh, with them. You know, it's great. Larissa really likes to talk. And mm-hmm. uh, it, I won't say it slows her down any, but it, it you know, it alleviates it <laughs> me of having to speak so that I can right, breathe right. harder. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But they're buying a place just a, a mile or two from me. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So Brent and I got out for a ride yesterday and uh, we were actually talking about some story ideas. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Neat dude. And I mean, just uh, also following him on a descent through a rock guard, dude knows how to pick a line. That's always fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like it was one of those things where like he was seeing lines. It's like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. That's one of the craziest, coolest things about mountain biking, dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, 26 inch wheels, steel fork, steel frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't think about picking a line. I just thought about surviving or whether or not I needed <laughs> to dismount. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, now 29 inch wheels and, you yeah. know, <laughs> at least 140 millimeters of travel. It's just like, well, which which weird direction do you want to go? Um, yeah, that's kind of the cool thing here when it um when it snows like so it'll (laughs) seriously so it'll Uh snow and then there'll be like a fun crisp layer of snow and everything like that you can still sort of ride over and through and it's fun to come up to some technical sections and look around and be like huh you know because you'll see people's tracks going all these different ways and i'm like I never thought about going that way, you know, like, so it's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's interesting mm-hmm. to, to, to see that it is fun. I, I think it's fun to follow. Like I, I like to take different lines and all the different technical sections and see which way over the rocks is best. And yeah. 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 There's this one section of marsh where I've probably taken five different lines yeah. and I could probably take another eight different lines even yeah. so. Yeah, for sure. You know. And, and that whole next level thing of like, oh, wait, maybe what I should do is just go over this rock, not around it. That's often <laughs> the line. Yeah. I, I, that's usually my line. It's like, 
Yeah, over. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. How about you? I've been doing the same. I've been uh, I've been uh, riding a bunch, paddleboarding a bunch. <laughs> Got to say, I've yeah, I am so in love with it. Uh, it's just so it's just such a nice way to end the day. And, uh, you know, it's like sort of paddleboard fever around here. Like a bunch of my friends got them. So, you know, it, the, the lake is just a half like there's a few lakes that are only half an hour away. So, you know, we've been going in the evenings even, which is really a nice way to to end the day. So, yeah, it's been cool. It's been super cool. Man, you've got me stirred up about that. I know, I know. I, I, I need know. to. I need to find a thousand dollars laying around somehow, <laughs> but I don't play the lottery. Yeah. So I don't know. No, really how. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was, that was, that was the vacation this year. But I'm seeing, like, <laughs> right. It is. I'm really stoked about it though. Cause like, you know, I'm not stoked that all this happened and we didn't go on a vacation or anything, but like, it's, it's been a, it's been a treat. It's been a really nice uh, alternative for sure. Very yeah, cool. That, that we'll, we'll continue to enjoy, you know, once all this is in the rear view mirror, which is great too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to give it up at any point. <laughs> exactly, like it will always be there for us. So I'm, I'm so, I'm stoked to have discovered it. Yeah, cool. Well, what's your pull this week? This week, I, I have an interesting pull. I would like to talk a little bit about aging. How about that? Okay, sure. Yeah, um, well, it's going to happen. It's it, it, it like it or not. Kind of the moment you you're born, really. But anyway, <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, a friend and a listener of the show, Dave Cook messaged me and you know he he said i have a friend that i met during a really really hard gravel grinder two years ago he lives in connecticut and at the time he was 82 years old he's now 84 and continues to do really long rides at a really good pace uh he's kind of superhuman i feel like he needs to be interviewed and talked to about what his drive and inspiration is and how he can continue to do this at his age so I was like, that sounds kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so I looked him up. And well, the first funny coincidence is that the guy's name is Tom Phillips. And he is my longtime co-worker, Matt Phillips's father. Get out. Now, well, I'm like, this is the smallest, craziest world ever. Right. So I contacted I contacted Tom and his first words. He was over the moon. He's like, I've been reading your stuff for years. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> and like, it's such an honor to meet you. And it was like very sweet. And I was like, he's like, my son, Matt works with you. I was like, oh my Lord, you're Matt Phillips's dad. Um, <laughs> which, which of I course was wondering how you connected those dots. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Which is bananas. But again, just a small world. But the the more I dug into this guy and I talked to Matt, Matt regaled me with all kinds of stories. But um, the more fascinating he became, he took up cycling at 38 because he was a high strung, overweight electrical engineer with four kids and chest pain. Oh, and it. Yeah. Hmm. And his doctor gave him tranquilizers. Because you know, that's what that's what you did back in the day, right? Uh, yep. just, Roger that. Yep. You yep. just threw down, you know, like that at you. And his doctor basically said, "You've got to quit your job because it's killing you." And he's like, "I got four <laughs> that, kids. I'm that's not a quitting. great solution." Yeah. Right. I'm right. not quitting this job anytime soon. So he got on a bicycle instead, and uh, which is always an awesome story. And he started racing. And it, you know, I'd like to run this as a tandem episode some sometime because the stories are funny. But but 
he can he wasn't great at first, but he stuck with it and he continued racing, including winning a gold medal at uh, the New Britain Criterium in the 70 plus category in 2006. <laughs> like, like, wow. OK, yeah. And uh, and then two years ago, at the age of 82, he signs up for his first gravel grinder. And not just like any gravel grinder. <laughs> right? I mean, I can't even. I'm just like, what? He signs up for the farmer's daughter in Chatham, New York, uh-huh. which, which I know it's 65 miles with more than 6,000 feet of climbing. And it is not easy. Like the terrain is, it is not easy. It would not be like one I'd suggest to anybody is like maybe your first foray. Start here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He didn't even have a gravel bike. Like Matt hooked him up with a vinyl, which I don't even know vinyl. Do you know vinyl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sean Coffey, ex of, oh, ex of bicycling back in the SoCal mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. later of Blackburn, these days of stages. Uh, yeah, he and his wife, Sophie, um, uh-huh. they, yeah, vinyl is theirs. Uh, there are a couple other people involved um, huh. and names are not coming to mind. They are... Produced overseas, they are aluminum. The geometry is pretty brilliant. Uh, I've been dying to get on one, and it just keeps huh. not happening. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, I, yeah. I think Matt bought a vinyl. Ah, that could be. Maybe. That could be that loop. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well. Anyway, we had this really great conversation about that first foray and his relationship with and love of cycling. And we can play a little bit of it, like, just right here. Fast forward to you are 82 years old at the time, and you find yourself in the farmer's daughter's gravel grinder. Yeah, yeah. How does that happen? (laughs) Well, the guys in the club kept talking it up. Tom, you got to do the gravel grinder. You know, you you can do the gravel grinder. So I said. Had you done a gravel grinder before that? No, I didn't. Okay. I'd, I'd ridden a, a mountain bike a couple of times. I really, I really, uh, Matt took me up behind JPL one time and took me on some single track and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, he was telling me how to do this and do that. And I uh, fell off the trail and slid down, a you know, <laughs> almost in, into a gully and he hauled me up it. <laughs> <laughs> he reaches over and he grabs my arm. He says, I guess this means I'm out of the will, huh? <laughs> so anyhow, and he says, Dad, you got to be one with the trail. You got to be one with the trail. And, you know, and you, you've got to look at it and all that. So we got to the end and uh, came to the parking lot. And I looked down. I was covered with blood and mud and dirt. And I said, well, I Looks like I'm one with the trail. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, but the gravel grinder, the guys in the club talked it up. So mm-hmm. um, I decided I'd I'd give it a try. It was only, you know, only 64 miles or something like that. So I didn't, but I get in the gravel grinder and, and uh, I never fell so many times. It was muddy. It was... I mean, really soupy stuff. And uh, anytime you hit a slight rise, it was really difficult to maintain anything. And anyhow, I'm, I was just a, uh, 
and then I got to the root section, and mm-hmm. I didn't know it was the root section, and I never had ridden roots before. Oh boy! Oh boy! And so I went into <laughs> this root section, and I'd go like hundred yards, and I'd fall again, and um, uh, you know, some of them were the Artie Johnson fall, where you just you know, and then just fall over. But at one point, I fell so hard. It just knocked me silly. Um, I hit a a root, and my back wheel went out from under me, mm-hmm. and I went right over on my side. And as a matter of fact, my back hurt for over a year after that. So to make a long story short, we were at the end of starting on this ride, and I came across this guy who was riding, uh, and it's Dave Cook. He, his mm-hmm. derailleur had, had a problem, so he was in the back, and I was with the older couple, and another guy, and we were just kind of riding along, and uh, I, I really liked downhills. I was riding a vinyl that Matt had lent me, mm-hmm. and I went zipping down the, the hills, and uh, <laughs> they came up beside me saying, you, you don't, you don't uh, seem to be afraid of downhills. <laughs> so we, we talked for a little bit, and we got to a really nice spot with a gazebo and we were standing there and he said Tom how old are you (laughs) I said um and I guess I was 82 at the time and he said you know that's the most inspiring thing I've heard all day so it was pretty funny but that's uh, that's that's that is something Matt does say that you're quite the defender (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you don't if I don't Mm-hmm. I, I end up feeling bad, um, you know, logie, all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like a vitamin pill or, a, or a, the, you know, the, the fountain of youth. For sure. Uh, if you keep riding and you keep active and you keep the, the, uh, um, the endorphins flowing, it's better. Yeah, so... Pretty cool, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, I I'm I'm busy having conversations with friends about like, you know, I wonder how many more years I get to be a mountain biker. Do hmm. I do I get that to do that to seventy five? Do I make it to seventy five? Uh, do I stop mountain biking before then, or am I like badass enough that I'm mountain biking until I'm eighty? You know, same deal for gravel riding. Am I going to be ripping around in Annadale as an 80-year-old on gravel and or mountain bikes? I, I don't know. Tom would say yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I ought to go hang out with him and learn a thing or two. I just, the idea that he's, you know, and, and I loved that phrase in, in Dave Cook's uh, message to you. Uh, well, there was the kind of superhuman. You could almost have just left it at that. But, you know continues to do really long rides at a really good pace. You said. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, well, so again, I would like to run the full interview as a tandem because there was a lot of gold in there. Um, But I really like speaking with him because of how straightforward he was. You know, at, at one point I asked him about how things have changed for him over 40 years, right? Like it's 40 
six years. And mm-hmm. if, if, if he's had to change anything about who he, how he approaches riding, you know, like, like recovery and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, he said, of course. And he said he's, he has slowed down, you know, and he, he used to go out for a solo ride and average like 18 miles per hour on his own. Um, and now okay. 46 years later, at the age of 84, when he goes out by himself, he tries to keep it over 12, you know, and push, which considering that he lives in Connecticut and I know where they live and it's re- it's relentlessly hilly. I, that's all right. You know, averaging 13, a lot of people would love to average 13 miles per hour. Yeah, I could imagine uh, worse things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't dwell on that. He's just really happy to be riding. Um, he has Zwift for the weather when the weather gets bad up there. And, uh, you know, he started using Strava because it's better than Excel. He said. <laughs> <laughs> I won't argue that point. I won't argue that for a second. And he likes to um, he likes the bling. He likes to beat some of his times, you know, when he's having a good day and he likes the little the little rewards it gives you. And, you know, he has his friends and his riding club that he's been riding with, I think he says since 77. Um, yeah, and they still coax him to do things like the farmer's daughter gravel grinder. And he did a 300 mile tour on the road last Labor Day with them. Wow. Right. Um, you know, so that I I just think that's something we can all try to learn from wherever we are in our little cycling journey here. Mm Because I read I read a lot of coaches blogs. I get a lot of the kind of stuff I write from sort of other sources, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes the message really, really bugs me because a, a lot of times the underpinning is, oh, you only slow down when you get older because you don't train as hard and life is busy. You know, it's not like you're just it's not because you're getting older or, you know, it, it's you don't have to slow down if you just like keep doing intensity and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's just not true. It's 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 not true. I am a firm believer that if you continue to train hard and you work hard and you be smart about what you eat, you can be fit and competitive for a very long time. I'm, I have lived that. I continue to live that. I hope to continue to live that. You can be competitive your whole life, really, if you want. And but you do not do not keep getting fitter and faster until you die. It does not work that way. Right. It just doesn't. And if you and if that message if that message keeps getting, if that's the message you hear, there's no way around feeling discouraged and there's yeah. no way around feeling a bit of self blame. Like, man, yeah. why am I, you know, like, it, no, it's I, a, it's a perpetual recipe for disappointment and frustration. A hundred percent. So I think that it's okay at some point to acknowledge that there are certain speeds in certain situations that at some point in your life, you will not see again like that, mm-hmm. that will everybody will come to that. You know, if you come to cycling later, you might come to that later. Right. Because you, mm-hmm. you, you will you will improve, you know, because I mean, just by virtue of being new to a sport, you tend to improve. But at some point, like everyone will hit that point, And that is OK. That doesn't mean that you're any less of a cyclist or you're any less of a racer. If you still like to race, it just means you're at another place in your cycling life. And mm-hmm. if you still want to be happy in said cycling life, it's important to make peace with that and to meet yourself where you are. It, it just. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, mm-hmm. it is like for myself, I certainly still like to toe the line now and then, but it's less frequent. And my mindset is different. Like at this point, I just want to fully soak in the race 
I'm less nervous about the outcome. I just want to immerse myself in the experience. I, I want to do races that take me somewhere new, you know, b- both externally and internally, honestly. <laughs> you know, and I'm not the racer I was six or seven years ago. Uh, but I'm also not making the same sacrifices of family time that I did then. I'm, I'm riding more with friends then that I did or now that I did then. And I'm a nicer person to be around when I'm riding with said <laughs> friends because I'm not all agitated if we stop for too long or, you know, like all of that. I, you know, I'm allowing myself to evolve in a way that allows me to still enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it and it was just cool to listen to someone who's in the fourth quarter out there, uh, like Tom is, and to hear how positive he is and how he's evolving and continuing to enjoy the whole process and experience. And that, to Dave's point, is definitely really inspirational. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it's remarkable because I, like I said, I've got this ongoing question of like, how long do I get to do these things? And here's an example that gives me some ability to imagine an entirely different response to, you know, that portion of aging. I can imagine now, you know, being on the bike later. It's, you know, he helps me envision a different sort of, yeah, fourth quarter in my life when I get there. And that's what so many of us need is uh, an example of what's possible. You think about so many things that happen in sports You know, the first time somebody did a double backflip on a bicycle, you know, somebody had to imagine, no, I think I can do that. And Mm -hmm, then once somebody mm -hmm. did it the first time, all of a sudden you have all these other people doing the same thing. We need that example to show us the way. way, It's a great way to put it. It's a great way to put it. And yeah, I mean, just. That's just awesome. Just take like getting into. And just talking about hitting the ground (laughs) like so often, like I don't like to hit the ground. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah, he did say that he like he's a little more cautious. But Matt told me the guy descends like still pushes like over fifty miles per hour on some descents, and still like when he says he slows down, it's it's super relative. And I'm like he's still <laughs> he's still going. And I guess he he became a pilot later in his life too. He got his pilot's license somewhere around fifty. Really interesting, dude. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it, it does inform a certain, a certain new dimension of Matt himself. Now it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now I see where you've got some of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Remarkable. Uh, man, I hope I get to meet him at some point. Yeah, me too. We're going to take a short break for our sponsor Shimano and we'll be right back at Shimano. We love riding and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. 
Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line podcast on two wheels. What do you have for us this week? (laughs) Well, this one's a little different. I got a listener question yesterday, and I'll say that our listener Kathy's question may have been it may have been more an SOS than a standard question. Hmm. It regarded barrel adjusters and Ugh, using I them. Hate barrel adjusters. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I will listen fine. now. I'm going to pay full attention for what you're going to say because I <laughs> hate barrel adjusters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she was replacing a cable on her bike and had taken all this stuff apart, you know, with the shifter and I mean, like it had even taken the cover off the shifter, you know, so that she could get the the cable in there and everything. But she's got these three pieces of her barrel adjuster taken apart. And she's like, what am I doing wrong here? And she sent me photos um, <laughs> and I was able to look at it and then eventually realize, oh, there was even a video showing me how one one plastic piece was sliding back and forth on the mm-hmm. housing. And I was like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. no, no. If you unscrew this and then slide this in first and then depress this with your thumb to compress the spring, then you'll be able to screw it in. And, uh, I, I had figured it out, even though I didn't have those pieces in front of me and she got it back together. Now, all that said, it occurred to me that this is one of those things that never, ever gets talked about, but really can have a profound impact on how your bike works. Yep. To illustrate this point, a story, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's 2010. I'm in the Alps on a bike tour. We were riding Michelin's Route de Grande Alpe, which was the big mountainous route that they laid out through the Alps back in the 19-teens, I believe it was, when Michelin Mm -hmm. was first starting to publish all their guides. It's since become known as the Haute Route, just the paved Mm -hmm. version. Mm -hmm. I'm descending the Cormet de Roseland in the rain. The road is incredible. It offers these stunning vistas of the Alps, both to the east and the west. Even in the rain, uh, quite a ways down the mountain, I reach a series of switchbacks and I begin to notice that I was having to brake earlier and earlier to get the bike to slow down for the turns hmm. until suddenly I noticed this camper swing into view. <laughs> uh, now, I'd begun using the left side of the road to give myself the widest possible turn on a right hand switchback. Mm-hmm. So I. I'd go over to kind of the guardrail. I'd look Mm -hmm. down and see if anybody was coming. And then I'd Mm -hmm. swing hard left and Mm -hmm. go cruising through. Well, so this camper comes into view and now I'm like, okay, well, I'm not using that part of the road, but maybe I can use everything after the camper. Then a motorcycle comes into view behind (laughs) it. And the way I'm slowing down, I'm thinking, oh, if I don't figure out some way to use the other side of the road, I'm going to pinball myself into a guy on a dual sport bike. Mm hmm. I'm so focused that time slowed down. Okay. I went into flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't so much enjoy it this time because it felt like those, (laughs) you know, the times that the the dirt clod was heading for your head. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I, I, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm not actually certain if the camper just slowed down a whole lot uh, because of a steep pitch or if it stalled and actually stopped 
I don't know. But what I do know is there were three motorcycles behind the camper and they all came to a stop. I remember seeing feet on the ground. Well, so I'm looking at this situation and there's mm-hmm. no way for me to make the turn at the speed I'm going without swinging into the other lane. Mm-hmm. So I split Moto 2 and Moto 3, rode between them as they stood still in a switchback. Huh. Got to the very edge of the concrete wall there. Mm-hmm. Arced around the guy on Moto 3 who was busy shaking his head at me. Just, I am certain. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that story got him bought a lot of beers that night. I am convinced it got him some beers. Uh, and then I can't begin to tell you why I stood up and accelerated back up to speed into the next switchback. Hmm. So I, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I finally get down uh, into town and I've realized that my brake levers are bottoming out against the bar because I'd worn down the brake pads so much in the wet conditions. Mm-hmm. I had to go full Fred Flintstone to stop tapping <laughs> the cleat of my right mm-hmm. foot on the ground to arrest my motion. Uh, but once I stopped, I reached down. I turned the barrel adjusters on the brake calipers counterclockwise until the pads were making contact without the levers hitting the bar. Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Okay. Now, of all the doodads on a bike, the barrel adjusters are one of the single most useful on a road bike with rim brakes and cable operated derailers. So no hydraulics and no DI2. Mm-hmm. The bike will have four barrel adjusters, one for each brake caliper and each derailleur. The one for the front derailleur will be positioned on the down tube most often as opposed to on the derailleur itself. On mm-hmm. mountain bikes, the barrel adjusters are located on the shifters where the cable exits the shifter which is what our, our listener, Kathy, was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Here's how they're useful. With brakes, the barrel adjusters are handy, as I've shown, for shortening the lever pull if the pads are worn. Mm-hmm. You can also use one barrel adjuster to help equalize the lever pull if the two levers are uneven in their pull. That can be really bad if the pull for the rear brake is shorter than the front brake, because mm-hmm. frequently people will pull the levers equally so if the back brake is closing before the front brake does, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can lock up the rear wheel and cause a skid. Not for sure. Um, I think we file that under no bueno. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the derailers, the barrel adjusters are used to fine tune the shifting. Counterclockwise turns increase cable tension while clockwise turns decrease cable tension. When I worked in shops, the single most common problem I saw, and I swear to God, if you're, if you're working in shops now, this is still true. Uh, the, the shifting, uh, the shifting would be slow, uh, to downshift to mm-hmm. easier gears. Mm-hmm. Um, single most common thing I ever saw. And so, you know, sometimes it would be slow or sometimes it wouldn't shift at all. And to fix that, all I had to do was turn the barrel adjuster half to a full turn counterclockwise et voila it would shift properly again okay so here's my caveat i'm not going to pretend that i can teach anyone how to adjust a rear derailleur on a podcast (laughs) but what i would like to point out is that these are minor adjustments that rarely require more than a couple of minutes effort on the part of a capable mechanic Mm mm-hmm 
we're in something of a weird bike boom right now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Considering how busy most bike shops are these days, a small shifting or braking issue may not require a full tune-up, which means that a bike need not sit at a busy shop while they tend to bigger jobs. So knowing what you need to ask for or knowing the limit of the help you need can actually improve your relationship with your mechanic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being able to ask questions or report uh, in more detail what the problem is you're having. Uh, I know that a lot of mechanics will look at a bike and think, I should just go through the whole thing. And, you know, that's not a bad way to go. But if somebody's bike is in good working order, otherwise, say, I'm just having some problem with downshifting or I'm just having some trouble with upshifting and taking note of just what the behavior is of the bike does so much to increase the rapport with a mechanic when you go into a shop. So that's, that's my plug. Uh, now I know you don't do your work on your bikes. So I'm curious <laughs> when you start to run into fr- trouble, what are you doing? Uh, I have a very good friend of mine who lives uh, a mile away from here, <laughs> or maybe a mile and a half at most, who uh, takes care of my bikes. I, Mike Yozel, you might, you might know him. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I sometimes I'll take a picture of something, but usually I'll just be like, we ride together a couple times a week, so I can just be like, and he, he will often hear it. Like, why is your chain skipping around? <laughs> like, that's a great question. Why is my chain skipping around? Which I'm actually going to ask him tomorrow. <laughs> I bike that has a chain skipping around. I have tried... Barrel adjusters are the bane of my existence, dude. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have tried to dial in and just cannot make it work with a barrel adjuster. Um, it's super frustrating because i mean you have to say that a bike and this happens all the time like a bike does not act the same way when you run it through the gears in the stand as when you put it under pressure going up a hill right when you're shifting that can occasionally torque occasionally he says that happens a lot in my world huh Uh, I mean, it's, it's precious rare that I start running into that sort of problem. Uh, and when I do, it's like a bent derailleur hanger Mm -hmm. or some other little thing. Uh, but normally, yeah, a properly, a properly adjusted rear derailleur will shift the same in the stand as it does under 300 Watts. That's the whole point of these systems. And when they don't, it points to there being something else wrong other than what a barrel adjuster can tackle. True point. Would you also agree that the tolerances are smaller now with a lot of these? Things are certainly more finicky than they used to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I have encountered occasions where I turn, you know, a half turn in one direction and that completely louses it up. And I turn a quarter turn in the other direction and that's no longer enough. Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, what, what, you know? Yeah. So I've, no. I've run into stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really rare. And I will say that if I run into a problem with a Shimano bike, not shifting well, 
I start looking for anything other than the Shimano parts as the culprit. What if it's a SRAM bike? Uh, I will look a little bit more at the rear derailleur. Uh, their system's a little bit different, but it's, mm-hmm. it's close to as foolproof, but I've, I've had more, there's a little more finicky to SRAM than mm-hmm. there is Shimano. I'll, That's been I'll my grant, experience too. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, one of my bikes, uh, yeah, one of my ETAP bikes, um, there's one cog that it's a little fussy as it downshifts, but if I do kind of one click in the other direction, mm-hmm. uh, it, right. yeah, it throws it off. Um, but I mean, by and large, you know, it's rare that I run into something where once I've ju- adjusted it correctly, it doesn't work exactly as advertised. Right. If there's not something else going on, I think I think that there's so much I think right now there's so much with um, trying to cram so many. Hogs on a cassette and, and so many like so many years and the chains are sometimes stiffer or tight like there's so much going on that there's there's just less room for so it, it strikes me that there's less room for error oh absolutely yeah you know the, the chains have gotten narrower they're yeah. they no longer have pins that extend beyond the plates they've had yeah. to eliminate that the distance between the cogs has shrunk yep. so the distance between the the plate of the chain and the cog has been reduced to fractions of a millimeter mm-hmm. and you know, on one side, that actually speeds up shifting because the chain mm-hmm. doesn't have to move as far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also means that, yeah, if something happens, you know, say you fall on a gravel ride and you bend mm-hmm. your your derailleur hanger two degrees, the bike's not going to shift right for the rest of the ride. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a. It's a. It comes with a lot of attendant uh, symptoms. Cause a single speed it. Oh my gosh! No, I like <laughs> technology. I really, really like technology. Yeah, I. Yeah, I like derailers. They're cool. They're fascinating, and making them work right is. I I, I like it. It's fun. I like working on bikes. Uh, that's that's one of the reasons that cycling isn't one hobby for me. Working on a bike is like its own fun thing. Yeah, oh, I totally my- get that. I wish I was better at it because it, I totally understand like how that could be fun. Like I, you know, I do. I know a book that might help you a little bit if you were to get interested. Um, yeah, it's called The No Drop Zone. Uh, this guy who lives in Northern California wrote it. Um, yeah. Maybe the guy talking to you. Yeah. Uh, you wrote it? Yeah. But what's I, it about? <laughs> uh, so it's 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 a how-to book for new roadies. But mm-hmm. there's a section in there on bike maintenance, and I actually talk about things like wrapping bar tape, mm-hmm. uh, adjusting barrel adjusters. Mm-hmm. You know uh, how to how to listen to what your bike is doing so that you are better prepared to have a conversation with your mechanic when you go in. Mm-hmm. Things like that. I'm pretty I, good know, at that. Yeah. So I didn't want to try to create a, a, a how to work on your bike book so much as here are a couple things that would be helpful for you to know. And 
you know, here are the other things that are helpful to you uh, so that you can have a better conversation with your mechanic mm-hmm. and increase that conversation. So I, yeah, I might know a guy who could send you that book. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Then. You may not want to read it though. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 I might, I, again, like I do, I do enjoy working on my bike. I, uh, I find, I find some of it frustrating. I, th- I think I find what I find frustrating is, is that, Things that seem, and this is how it is in the world at large, I guess, things that seem like they should be simple are not often simple because there's no standards. Like when you're talking about setting up like tubeless tires, it's like, oh, well, these rims are not like, like stuff that I would never think, like the normal consumer would not think about, right? Like, well, oh, that's not compatible that's- with that. And that's not because there's no standards. Like you just want to like throw it all out the window. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm at a point where, you know, it used to be if a bottom bracket creaked, I knew exactly what to do. It was a one hour procedure, top to bottom. And at the end of it, I was assured that that bottom bracket was going to shut up. Yeah. I now encounter bottom bracket creaks and just think about, well, can I live with it? <laughs> just just ride on gravel. You won't hear it, maybe. <laughs> like, just yeah. Go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, hearkening back to that that previous poll for the yeah. other listener. Yeah, I I have certainly gone... Yeah, that one's going to be really tough to sort out. And I, maybe I'll just ride alone in Anadel with earbuds and I won't be able to hear it at that point. <laughs> Yay, bikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to Paceline Picks. Mine is maybe way out of left field, but it is the GT Performer BMX bike. This. I used to sell those. What are you Did doing? You really? making? Yes. Yes. I was what at a fun the little big, thing it is. Yes. Uh, I was at the biggest GT dealer in Memphis. Yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. That's a classic. That's a yeah. Movie. Oh, we would practically throw those out the door at Christmas time. Oh, I bet. I bet. <sighs> it was um, fun. I was at a, I did a photo shoot this morning. I was at, I was at a photo shoot. There were people way more capable than me at the pump track. But um, we have a we have a pump track that's a couple miles away. It's in town. Uh, they actually just macadamed it. It used to be the uh, the hard dirt that they would treat. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. it was so much maintenance here. Like to try to, it, it was never in good condition. So they finally just put macadam on it, and it's really lovely. Um, but one of the guys brought that bike. It's like three hundred fifty bucks, you know, yeah. retail, and yeah. it was. Crazy, crazy fun. Like I've ridden the pump track before just on my mountain bike or my single speed or whatever I have because I don't have like an actual bike for it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's so like for anyone who hasn't ridden a pump track, like I went around the first time and it's wacky how your heart rate goes up so high. <laughs> right. Yes. Like you're just like you go in and you're like, <gasps> and we're all like breathing, like we're all endurance cyclists, you know, like and racers. And we're all just like it's it's it it's a different kind of workout for sure mm-hmm. you know because oh, yeah. it it is so um mental and full body in a different way and i think your head gets confused because you're on a bike but you're not really using your legs much and like there's just like all this stuff going on but uh it's just it's so especially if you mountain bike but i think even if you gravel ride like it's really really good to give you that proprioception like of of how a bike reacts and with the input like so you're not just 
because I think a lot of new cyclists, especially when they come into a more technical aspect of our sport, whether it be mountain biking for sure, but even gravel riding, I see it. And I talked about this at gravel camp some is that people, especially when they're new and have no experience, tend to be passengers on the bike. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they get on and they sit and they expect yeah. like they let things happen and then try to react mm-hmm. when in the sport to, to really enjoy it and to become more proficient at it. You want to be a pilot of your bike. You want to actually put input and like it react. It, and a pump yeah. track is a very fun, safe, easy way to like get a feeling for that. Like, Oh, like this is how, like when you go into some bumps, like how to pre hump the, you know what I mean? Like put some input in. So you, do you have a smoother ride and, and you keep your speed and, uh, you know, I've, I've been talking so much during this whole thing about like now is such a g- good time to work on skills and to work on this. And Don't. if you have a pump track around, like just go over and like noodle. You can even do it on your road bike. You can do it on anything. Just noodle around. You can really get a sense for like how you can work your bike with your feet and work your bike with your hands and work your bike with your arms. And it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, the it's, waiting it's, and unweighting of the bike is mm-hmm. it's. It can do a lot for you. I've noticed totally. that I'm, I'm for some reason in the last six or eight months, I've begun to read mountain bike terrain. Maybe it's more like the last year. I've begun to read mountain bike terrain a little differently and I'm seeing more opportunities to, to weight or unweight my bike on downhills and uphills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are times mm-hmm. where I'll, you know, someone will have a gap on me, say 30, 40 feet. And I'll pump through a couple of things. Won't pedal a -hmm. single revolution Mm -hmm. and I'll close that distance on them. Mm -hmm. We're both coasting, but I'll pump a little bit and I'll close up that distance. Yeah. Cause you're, you're maintaining momentum and you're floating over some stuff. Yeah. Like it had like, that makes a huge difference. Like instead of like, whack, 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 you know, like it, like it helps you just (laughs) sort of like, yes, (laughs) you, you, you can actually skim a little bit more and keep your momentum in it. It is like it is definitely a skill you can use uphill as well as, you know, on a downhill. For yeah. hundred percent. And then there's the fact that like, you know, I've been on uh, any number of downhills, but you'll get a section, a short section where it suddenly gets a little steeper. Mm-hmm. And if you pump into that, you can mm-hmm. feel pretty remarkable acceleration if you hit it just right. Mm-hmm. I love that feeling. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I will say, you know, a bike with 20 inch wheels at a pump track, uh, is a really good way. Smaller wheels. I think a lot of pump tracks are built more around like 24 inch wheels, but Mm -hmm, 20 or mm -hmm. 24, 26 is okay. Once you start getting bigger than that, it gets a little harder to develop the feel for it. Smaller wheels definitely help. Also, you know, you've got the shorter wheelbase of the smaller bike. So you have a greater sense of going over stuff. Uh, yeah. It's that's a really good choice for being at a pump track. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And somebody had a like one of the wheelie bikes, you know, sort of it sits up a little like one of the kids wheelie bikes. I think it was called the Ripper or something. It's it's built to do ride coaster wheelies and stuff. But that was kind of fun. I mean, the wheels were big, but that was it was fun to like just rip different bikes around there. I took my e-bike around it like we just had all of (laughs) it. We just took everything that we had around it. It was just it was very fun. It was a fun a fun little uh, 
little work meeting this morning. It was fun to call it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the definite perks of what we do. hundred percent. Yeah. So what do you have? My pick this week is a book by Eric Bowen called Peloton Legends. Hmm. Bowen is a veteran roadie. I mean, from the 1980s. Uh, and he used to run a blog called Virtual Musette, which if I remember correctly, I believe we had a link to it when I was writing for Belgium Knee Warmers. Uh, wow. The blog is gone, but Bowen's obsession is not. <laughs> and he's taken what that site was and distilled it into this book, which ranks the top 100 male cyclists of the modern era. I don't think it goes back any further than Gino Bartoli, you know, in the mm-hmm. 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, I suppose some folks might take issue with the book for not reaching back to the dawn of the sport or even the first tour to France. But in his defense, I'll say, I'm not really sure how you would compare Eddie Merckx to the first winner of the tour, Maurice Garin. Uh, each entry in the book includes a list of the writer's big wins, along mm-hmm. with a few graphs about the writer in question. And the writing is lively and he builds additional context for all of this by giving an overview of various periods of cycling's past. The entries are brief and pretty much to the point so that it gives someone who isn't already steeped in all this history enough context to understand the book and its arguments about who's great and why. Um, I'm a nut for data and I love getting lost in records of this sort. It's how I came to write features that argued that the greatest single season any writer ever had was Eddie Merckx's 1972 season. And the most dominant performance at the Tour de France was Merckx's 69 win. I kind of shudder at what sort of epiphanies this book might lead me to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I've been going through it. And, you know, the arguments that he makes about, you know, who's, you know, who's in the top 10 and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I buy it. I think he's done a really, really nice job with the book. It's a lot of fun. And I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Sweet. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you um that you that you have maintained your love of uh this part of pro cycling as you have lost your large engagement with modern pro cycling. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, the the moral ambiguities of mm. that era of cycling are not nearly so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, people didn't really talk out of both sides of their mouth at the same time. You know, uh, writers like Ancatil, uh, you know, he was pretty straightforward. You know, we're not we're not Boy Scouts here, right, uh, right, 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 and. So they were straightforward that, yes, there's something going on, mm-hmm. you know, no, I'm not going to play along with your stupid game. Right. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that was, that was, those were just the stakes of the game back then. And I accept yeah. it. Uh, we've got such a weird moral ambiguity about what's going on now and the ways that we push performance, uh, you know, Riders with hyperbaric chambers and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. It's like, oh, I, <laughs> I, know. I don't want anything to do with it. 
I gotta say though, like I, I've I've been watching uh, some of it as it's been returning, mm-hmm. and I still like the. I'm reminded, I should say, at how brutal the sports is. Like I like I I think I I think I sometimes forget, and then you watch these races, and you're like, like that horrific crash. Did you see the crash that happened at Tour Poland? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I didn't see video, but I saw a couple photos. It's like, OK, don't need oh, to go any further saw, with that. I saw it um, and it was unbelievable. I mean, and like that they're putting these, these racers on a downhill. I mean, they're going 50 miles an hour into that sprint. You know, he's going 80K. Right. 80K. Yeah, a, a narrowing with the same old fashioned barriers with the feet yeah. and that they're not they're zip tied together. And then today. um, uh, the would I am blanking the de Dauphiné. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Did you see the hail bruises? I, ha- of I the, have oh, seen. Oh, I haven't seen bruises from the hail. Oh. I just saw shots of the hail. Oh, dude, you need to go and see. I, I basically, and I'll probably do a story on it. The 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 Instagram shots and the Twitter shots of the riders who got caught in that. I have never seen anything like that their backs are welted like they got pelted with golf balls and like oh i mean i cannot even words cannot do it justice how horrible i mean it it looks like they got ran over by something like it's just i'm like oh this sport (laughs) so as if it's not hard enough like yeah Wow. I got caught in a, a hailstorm in Montana years and years ago. And there was, it's Montana. It's wide open. There's nothing oh, to I get know. under. I've been there. There's nothing. And uh, the, the hail was the size of like a small gumball. Not the, the, not the yeah. big ones, but you know, a centimeter and a half across or so. It hurt so bad. Yeah. And that's not as big as what I think. Yeah. Well, you said golf ball. Yeah. Oh, it, it had to be. You look, I mean, you can see the impact on them and it's Ooh. all down there. Like it's insane. And it's oh. definitely like big, big. Yeah. I mean, we've all been, I got caught out one like my last Ironman training ride and I had one of those giant fairing aero helmets on and just like the sound of like, like the hail, like hitting my Ooh. helmet. It's like, oh. this, is, this is torture. But, um, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Quite, quite the sport. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I will say, you know, no matter what, the riders who are out there who've made that commitment, that's somebody who really wants something. Yeah. You know, it's a study in will. More than anything else, it's a no study doubt. in will. And that's the part of not being as immersed in pro cycling that I do miss is mm-hmm. just how badly some riders wanted something. Um, that that's one of the more fascinating pieces of the human experience to me. No doubt. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, you got anything you looking at for this coming weekend or, you know, just more, more, Good training rides and then getting out yeah, on your more big board. rides, more big, you know, meeting a friend who I haven't ridden with since this all started, which is going to be fun. I haven't seen him since February, my birthday, as a matter of fact. Um, and he's a, he's a guy that I typically do some really big, dumb things with. So he's got some <laughs> big, dumb thing on tap. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. Uh, hitting the lake, the usual. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, we, I don't, you know, we're still knock on fingers crossed looking at having a small unpaved. So mm-hmm. 
that's cool. Uh, but that might be it on the calendar. Honestly, I mean, I, there's there was a mountain. Yeah, it was a mountain bike race this past weekend that I did not do. I've I've done it before uh, in Central PA, and I, I I didn't go out for it this time. But that you know, we we definitely have some small stuff going on here. So there will be. Uh, I think the the Bear Creek, which had nationals a few years ago, has another race. They've had one race. They have another race coming up. So it's cool that there's some stuff going on for sure locally. Like there, if if you have a racing Jones, there's definitely some stuff that uh, at least like locally you can jump into here. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. You've got great questions coming in, so please keep sending us stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly having fun with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.